0: Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the award winning Hospital Finance Podcast. Healthcare interoperability is still a work in progress. Recently, the Office of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology released new info blocking rules intended to further facilitate the exchange of healthcare information. However, many providers still rely on legacy systems and technologies that will make it expensive and difficult for them to comply with these new rules. To explain what these new rules mean for providers and what they can do to optimize their capabilities while improving their bottom lines, I'm joined by Matt McKella, president and CEO of Life Image. Matt, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Mike. Uh, good to speak with you today.
0: Matt, we all know interoperability has been an issue for some time in healthcare. Can you give us an overview of the ONC's new info blocking rules and why they are increasing the urgency around inter- interoperability concerns?
1: Sure, absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I guess I would say uh, non interoperability has actually been <laughs> a uh, great concern in healthcare. Uh, for a long period of time, right? At least as long as, as uh, I've been involved in healthcare for the last, you know, for 30 years or so. Um, and I, I, I think uh, these challenges were recognized that I 30 seconds of history, right? In uh, the end of the Obama administration, a bipartisan group of uh, congressmen came together, right? To basically lay the foundation in place legislatively, for um, dealing with uh, data blocking and non interoperability in healthcare, recognizing uh, the real barriers to care and cost management uh, that uh, was driving uh, across our healthcare system, and that was picked up uh, in the uh, Trump administration, that continued in a bipartisan way to advance that legislation and move it into the regulatory process, which resulted here in uh, this in the uh, office of the national coordinator, right, and Don uh, Rucker. Promulgating after a long uh, period of collecting feedback from the industry, a set of rules that really put in place new requirements uh, for the industry to uh, drive a better transparency in data, better access to data, and it had you know just a couple of components I think that are important here. Right, one was it uh, really leaned heavily into kind of the technology sector and establishing. Right, what healthcare technology standards would need to be deployed in order to ensure that we're all as vendors, right, starting to that we have the ability to talk to each other and to work together? Because when we talk about healthcare standards, right, there's so many, uh, or data standards, there's so many data standards uh, in healthcare um, that, uh, you know, our problem is not that we don't have, you know, any standard it's that we have so many and so every manufacturer every software company right creates their kind of own mechanism of understanding and storing and sharing data and if it doesn't match up with what another vendor has used boom it's not interoperable and you can't see it and access it kind of like in the old days right where you know if you used a mac you used a mac uh, and you couldn't share your spreadsheets with somebody that used you know a uh, you know IBM machine as an example um, they became more interoperable. Healthcare is evolving into that space. So, the ONC leaned into the technology standard and said, all right, we're going to tell everybody this is the standard you have to use. Do whatever you want inside your own systems, but ultimately you have to be able to expose data, right, using, you know, Fire as a category of a standard, right, and creating, you know, what are called, uh, you know, APIs, which are standard ways of kind of understanding data and being able to see it and, you know, access it. So that was a very, very big deal to work through that um, kind of technology kind of mechanism uh, here so that industry knows going forward what they have to do uh, most efficiently. Uh, The second was this kind of category of, okay, now that we're taking away industry's barrier or excuse around the technology side of the house, yes, they have to build into it. But we're not going to argue about healthcare standards or create new ways constantly of doing it at this stage Um, was let's uh, put in place um, – or let's lean into uh, behavior, right, of data blocking, right, for organizations that may, for their own purposes or their business model purposes or for lack of priority, right, they just don't give data to patients, I hear. And that ultimately, in healthcare, becoming more consumer-oriented is a good thing. In almost every other industry, it drives quality up and costs down – and so this meeting, this needs of consumerism means you have to have access to data, and patients have to do that. So the ONC basically said, "All right, here's your technology you have to use." They created, right, the first minimum right data set of data. So they basically said, "Okay, and these are types of medical information you have to, you know, be able to, you know, provide, right?" So patient history, demographics, lab information, basic imaging information. Diagnosis, pathology, claimed costs, et cetera. You know, it's not all of the types of healthcare data. And it's, uh, you know, and it's, you know, pretty much kind of the low hanging fruit that people know how to deal with most easily today. But as a start, they said, this is your common data standard. And they said, you have to share it with patients. And if you don't, there will be, you know, uh, compliance and regulatory consequences here, including, you know, what could be very, very substantial fines. So, industry, start working towards that uh, and move forward. So that's what the ONC has principally, you know, put in motion here. And it applies to providers, as we talk about here, as you mentioned here. But it also, right, uh, applies to, you know, healthcare insurers and payers that have their own set of requirements that ultimately means, you know, as a you know, subscriber or a member of a health plan, uh, you'll be able to, you know, relatively soon request, you know, five years of your payment history. Uh, from anything from their systems, so that should allow you know, exposing the cost and what uh, you know plans have uh, you know paid for services here is going to be a big missing. It's going to fill a big missing gap we have for consumers to understand how to price shop and to understand the consequences of their healthcare decisions. Um, now, to the second point, Mike, and I know it's a rel- relatively long answer, but the urgency around this there's always been urgency. Uh, but as, particularly this year, I think the industry has, has come to understand pretty dramatically, because of this pandemic, the real consequences of having uh, non interoperability right in uh, healthcare here. Um, when we look at you know COVID patients as an example, and you know CDC had done a study in the first wave of the pandemic, was saying all right when patients show up and they're initially diagnosed with COVID. Right. Does that patient have their medical records available for the physician to then be able to determine what is their history? What are their particular issues of comorbidities or complications so they can apply an appropriate treatment plan given their symptoms? And, uh, you know, less than 6% of all patients that presented uh, and were diagnosed with COVID in that you know, early period of time had any access to their medical records at all. So with this disease in, in particular, that's so varied and so complicated, and attacks so many systems in an area where physicians had to really deploy, apply right their you know, greatest judgment um, for you know ninety you know four percent of all patients showing up. The physicians had to go into that battle uh, without the data they needed to be able to treat the patient right. Um, that caused you know an untold number of you know uh, of. Uh, you know, patient, uh, patient harm here of suboptimal care uh, and, you know, kind of an added cost. And so it became very dramatic, I think, to much of the delivery system and clinical side that this wasn't a theoretical conversation or an inconvenience, right, not having access to this medical data, not for a small subset of patients, but for the majority of patients is a real quality of care issue that ultimately has to be solved. And we haven't solved it yet. But I think throughout the course of this pandemic, it's become more and more apparent that this is not just required, but it is essential and that we have to hurry up and get this done. And I think the ONC has set a fantastic table and foundation of building blocks to guide industry to get that done.
0: Great overview, Matt. And uh, you mentioned uh, in your answer a little bit about the fines and some other issues, repercussions, if you will, uh, that can come up when uh, a provider does not follow the ONC guidelines. Uh, are you able to provide any additional detail on the repercussions of not following the new ONC rules?
1: Sure. I mean, some of these uh, some of these financial penalties, right, can be in the thousands or ten thousands of dollars, uh, even upwards to a quarter of a million dollars penalty for uh, blocking data for individual patients. So when you think about, you know, a practice that may have themselves, you know, thousands of patients or tens of thousands of patients, right? A typical primary care physician, right? And again, that's not the typical kind of data we're talking about, but may have a panel of two, three, 4,000 patients across the board uh, here. Uh, these fines mount up substantially, right? And uh, you don't see to date, has been relatively and to date I mean this year has been relatively careful and kind and gentle about many of these uh, enforcement actions uh, by you know delaying the implementation dates uh, of you know that are required for you know healthcare technology companies to comply right giving them some relief in the pandemic uh, but nevertheless uh, the you know the penalties there are are you know, really substantial and what will happen over time Um, for, you know, on the provider side that we really have to be aware of, right, is, you know, in the past, um, some of your business practices blocked data and you didn't even recognize, right, you're doing it in a relatively large bureaucracy or with some policies in place. The consequences and the fines for that, you know, can be substantial. And before where you might have a patient that is a little bit, you know, inconvenienced or a little bit aggravated because they have to run around or, you know, under these rules, right? If a patient comes to you and says, "I want my data," and I'm using this technology platform, this app, as an example, uh, to um, to collect my data, um, I'm not coming into the office. Transfer it to me. Um, many healthcare organizations historically would say, "No, we're not doing that." Right? Our internal policy is, you know, no. You have to come in the office. You have to sign consent forms. You have to travel around. We have, you know, we'll get it to you in, in a month or two months. Those are all violations now, right? Providers have to supply that data. They have to provide it digitally in the means that the patient has requested it, assuming that they're capable of doing that uh, here. And they have relatively stringent time constraints, which had been set at about 30 days, but are moving right uh, down to even two weeks or 15 days of a turnaround time. And I think what we're going to find as an industry, right, in and on the, you know, the provider side, is that patients are going to get more vocal. Uh, Patients are going to rec, sorry, they're being educated and they're going to recognize that they have rights in this regard. And they're going to be the ones starting to notify the ONC and the compliance folks and, you know, CMS and Health and Human Services that their providers are not complying uh, here. And, um, you know, this sense of, you know, patients reporting uh, really does increase, right, the risk. You know, we're moving, you know, past the place where, uh, patients are, you know, kind of historically kind of complacent and you know, listen to their provider directions and much more into a consumer-oriented world where they expect, you know, responses quickly, immediately, efficiently, and uh, will start to complain if they don't get it in larger numbers. And so, as a as a provider, we've got to pay attention to this, right? Because it's very easy to get behind, and the next thing you know, you've got you know, prepatient complaints that get researched and find out that. You know, it's been your normal business practice and affected 15,000 patients and all of a sudden you're in a huge financial problem here. So I have to be very careful with that.
0: Matt, I want to pivot a little bit and talk about a specific area of data exchange. When we talk about maybe getting behind, Um, you know, given the need to streamline access to this information, um, it's actually surprising that CD-ROMs are still used as widely as they are in healthcare to exchange data and images uh, between providers and patients. Why is there still a reliance on this older technology?
1: Hmm. Great question, Mike. Um, And the, you know, when you, when you look at um, you know, the transfer, the exchange, the sharing of medical imaging uh, here in the country, um, despite the fact that the technology has existed right, to digitize it uh, and affect a secure encrypted transfer without any you know, degradation of the data, and that's existed for almost a decade and a half. Live image invented the category. Um, it's not a technology question. Uh, in that it's not mature. It is. It really is a couple of other drivers, right? One is just, you know, the inherent uh, delay in adoption of new technology by, you know, the delivery system, right? And folks continue to talk about the fact that we have, you know, fax machines out there. Um, The next horrible example beyond fax machines, right, is unfortunately CDs uh, here for, you know, imaging. So as a matter of practice, that's what they always did. That's what they continue to do. That's what their internal policies are set up to do um, in many regards is what people's full-time jobs are to do. And so, you know, evolving out of that you know, practice requires you know, diligence and, you know, attention. Uh, and, and, and sometimes that just, it just hasn't occurred quite frankly across the industry. The second kind of, I think, factor here you know, again, is a tolerance in the industry for non-interoperability. You know, CD-ROMs, right, for imaging is, you know, classic example of non-interoperability. You know, not only are there significant delays in acquiring them and producing them and we're inconveniencing patients from running around or we're mailing them around, which is not as secure as it needs to be, you know, generally somewhere around, you know, 12-ish percent of all medical imaging that's actually put onto a CD can't actually be read by the physician, the group, the practice manager, et cetera, who has to take it and upload it and make it work. Right. Because the viewer isn't quite right. The standard isn't quite right. The disc ultimately is corrupted. It's a, you know, 3d TOMO that's too big to fit on a CD ROM or even a DVD, right. As the technology has evolved. So um, even all of this effort to produce them and move it around on physical media, Uh, still has, you know, material problems when you could push a button and transfer it, right? Um, But as an institution, right, what we find as they look and they say, I'm a typical, you know, uh, know, large scale hospital and I've got lots of things going on. I've got lots of departments, you know, every department may be operating independently. That's another barrier because you, we, you know, we work with organizations that are incredibly sophisticated and digitizing their imaging and moving it around. But they still have pockets of departments and practices and geographies, right, where they never implemented that technology. And so they're relying on, you know, CDs. So just the nature of the, the organization itself and how unified they are with their technology can also be a barrier to, you know, to uh, affecting, you know, some of this change and you know dumping the disk and digitizing what you need to do. Uh, it's maturing, but nevertheless, still another a challenge. You know, another component is you know typically in some of these organizations you'll have the part of the company that's responsible part of the of a delivery system uh, that's responsible for the image management right tends to be in what they call the PAX administrator function and they've got a budget and they pay have to pay for hardware and software and all of the rest of these kind of issues uh, here and if they you know have an image exchange partner they're paying a vendor and they're paying that vendor a certain amount of money and the more you digitize the more you pay that vendor so there is this unfortunate perverse dynamic in some parts of the industry where you know where the cost of cd management production sits out in the clinical areas sits out in the department it's dispersed right that cardiology may have a full-time person doing it and uh you know and uh you know appointments in oncology get delayed a week because they don't have the images they need to schedule an appointment doesn't affect my budget if I'm running the IT department and a PACS administration, right? But if I digitize it all, my budget goes up, and I may not get credit for that or appreciated. So part of this issue, unfortunately, in some parts of the industry, are that uh, you know the cost of this, um, of these CDs, both in delays in scheduling and effects on revenue and impacts to patient care, is dis- dispersed. But the actual cost from a technology point of view, isn't and it's not aligned. And that misalignment then takes you know, more time, right, for organizations to get their hands around it, understand it, and then, you know, push forward. Um, another kind of issue here that has contributed to it is the is a bit of lack of priority. Because, again, since the accountability and the consequence of managing CDs is, might not be mine, right, in the technology world uh, here, but you know what is the ability to implement a brand new EHR across the system or problems that I have in revenue cycle management and technology there or billing issues I have. And so those issues tend to be bigger, much more impactful, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars to solve, and then get the priority and the attention where the interoperability around imaging you know, might fall fifth on your priority list or 10th or 15th. And so, year over year, it gets slightly less attention. It takes a lot more effort, right, to get people to react to it uh, across the board. I mean, having said that, you know, I mean, so even like with our company today, we nevertheless, we still have, you know, 13,000 facilities in the US, you know, who who are digital and do transfer DICOM. And, uh, you know, and we're doing that, you know, every month for, 12 to 15 million patients that are being referred around within the United States. So it's being addressed at scale, but nevertheless still, you know, more than 50% of all imaging is still a CD. So there's a long way we still have to go um, for those reasons.
0: Matt, what are some compliant alternatives to CD-ROMs at this point?
1: So, I mean, quite, quite frankly, there's a number of companies that operate operate in the space that offer software solutions that will connect directly to your packs very sophisticated you know um uh, either integrations into your existing ehr right which we do on all the major ehrs so you don't have to modify your workflow or lots of other flexibility to basically you know work off your workstation to search on a patient acquire you know imaging push a button and transfer it to almost anywhere in the world that you want it to securely those solutions exist it really is a question of you know, just deploying them, um, again, it's the priority uh, of the organization. Uh, what we found, right, at least that at our company here during this year was uh, especially early on when the pandemic um, was starting and was in its first surge, since Life Image is so heavily penetrated in the large institutions and uh, academic and tertiary care centers and in all of the major metropolitan areas in the country, that's where COVID hit. And so our customers were materially affected right away out of the first wave. And they recognized very early on that they really did need to be more interoperable for, uh, for imaging. And we received a massive amount of requests to, re- to, to connect into new delivery systems, new sites, temporary field hospitals, et cetera. And in the course of three to four months, uh, we had we connected, you know, virtual. I think it was somewhere in the range of, you know, 500 brand new hospitals, right, on the Life Image Network. Again, because of this awareness, of we have to solve this problem. And so, you know, in that period of time, right, we were just, you know, working really, really hard to advance that. Uh, that's slowed down a bit now towards the second half of the year, uh, which is kind of interesting and I think uh, is, you know, more reflective of, you know, the uh, I'm advancing onto other types of, uh, you know, treatment uh, with both COVID as well as, uh, you know, returning to elective procedures here.
0: Matt, I suppose you could see where there would be some low hanging fruit around operational efficiencies over CD-ROMs. Are there any cost savings for, you know, hospitals that want to move away from CD-ROMs and, and into this more digital world?
1: Sure. It's, it's material cost savings here. It's not, it's not a I mean, on a margin basis, right? It's important, right? Every depending upon which type of institution you are, you know, a, a management of a single CD-ROM is going to cost you somewhere between eight dollars and sixteen dollars, right? With the larger facilities, with the more efficient workflows, with some of the centralized tools of managing, you know, CDs, we'll get it down to eight dollars. Uh, smaller facilities, mid-side facilities, more rural facilities, et cetera, folks that are managing CDs on a part-time basis along the way, it could be easily be $16, right, SCD, uh, And that's the handling, the purchase, the burning, the equipment, the staff time. So in comparison, if you digitize it, right, not only do you get, you know, you're basically, you know, lowering that cost, right, um, at scale for large institutions, you know, for well below, right, a dollar. Uh, here, and that's a massive, right, marginal savings across the board uh, when you talk about large-scale institutions uh, here. Um, In smaller institutions that are looking for every single dollar, right, in this terrible healthcare uh, experience, right, um, it's got a very clear ROI, you know, if they can pay pay attention to it. So it's a very inefficient or a very efficient scale way to digitize, get rid of those CDs uh, here and... uh, and make that work so the issue of course is um you know in pure raw you know so while this might be an eight to one or a 16 to one savings you know roi on it um you know in raw dollars right it works right what problem you're going to have if your billing system in epic goes down or cerner because i'm not picking an epic on any of the ehrs during implementation so that's you know that's one of the reasons organizations you know get confused about this um but real cost savings, and that's before, Mike, we talk about the impact of patients, right, and care, which is, you know, quite frankly, it's unmeasured uh, here. But, you know, we have a number of institutions, right, that um, that deal with oncology, as an example. And, um, and in many cases, right, they won't schedule, right, a... Uh, meeting with a patient they won't take an outside referral uh, for an initial diagnosis or for a second opinion unless they already have in hand those patients medical records and we've got a number of institutions that want five years of history with imaging and so as a patient you may spend 30 days collecting that information before you can actually have an oncologist review it and discuss it with you and there are cancers that cannot wait 30 days there are cancers that progress aggressively in that 30-day period of waiting, right, causes real issues, causes you know significant cost, you know, in the background uh, here. That's not meant this, you know, $18 to $16 a physical CD doesn't account for that patient care opportunity or the added cost of the healthcare system because the disease has progressed faster in that period of time. You know, we have 150 stroke centers that we support in the United States, level one trauma. Treatment centers, and you know the use case here is a patient presents in the community, and you know um, and gets imaged, and then the patient you know get needs to be transferred right to a level one trauma center for treatment. Well, you know when you're talking about you know stroke, you know again whether it's a bleed or a clot, right? Um, every minute, or millions of brain cells, and so for life image, right? We have the ability to, you know, take that uh, image from the community level, transfer it to the uh, trauma center so that the team, the care team there can see it, analyze it, understand it while the patient is still um, either inpatient at the community center or, frankly, in route an ambulance or by helicopter, and to transfer that data to that center so that the physicians can determine what an appropriate treatment is so the patient can be treated before they even roll in the door, right, whereas, you know, unfortunately, there's still many, many facilities in the country where the patient will be imaged uh, and they slap that CD-ROM and tape it to their chest and then roll it in the door. And then the care team is the first time to see that data. They could spend 12 to 30 minutes in extracting the data, trying to understand it, take a look at it and treat, you know, in that kind of, you know, uh, in that kind of clinical condition, right, is the difference in many cases between whether patients live or die. Uh, It's the difference between whether a health plan has to pay a million or two million or five million dollars for additional rehab that could have otherwise been avoided. So the acceleration of data, especially around imaging, which is so important now in almost every significant medical issue that we have today, is, you know, fundamentally, right, a clinical care quality of care issue. Right. And, you know, and it has a eight to 16 to one ROI if you do it. So you know this is why you know we come to work every day because we recognize that this isn't just a software issue this is really a you know this is a quality care issue for millions of patients every single you know day uh, here and continue to advocate for this digitization and interoperability right it is an application not just a you know professional uh, experience
0: great stuff matt if someone wanted to find out more about you or life image where can they go um, uh, thank you for
1: asking. So um, you can go to, go to uh, lifeimage.com, which will take you to our uh, website that uh, you know, will explain the services, the products, the markets, et cetera, We're at gives you the ability to ask additional questions or uh, talk with anybody internally at the organization that uh, you know is uh, required. Not just the salespeople, but technical folks or whatever. So I would direct you there, you know, as a start.
0: Matt McKellar, thanks for coming by the Hospital Finance Podcast today.
1: Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it.
0: This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit bestler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bestler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.